Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything with Millicent Sarr and Ellis Dolan. This is a feminist podcast where we discuss movies and musicals and just general pop culture and dissect them through a feminist viewpoint and potentially ruin them. Hence, hence the title. Hence the title. Uh, my name is Millicent Sarr. I'm Ellis Dolan. And we are very excited to today be discussing dissecting and also gushing a bit about how much we love Legally Blonde. Mim, I am so excited to talk about Legally Blonde right now. I'm, I am buzzing. Uh, so <laughs> I, uh, I, I guess the first place to start off, what is, what is our, our, our histories with uh, this film and this musical? Because we are going to be covering both. Sure. Um, I have been in Legally Blonde, the musical, um, I played Margot, such a good freaking character, originated by, oh my god, who's that Broadway actress who I love so much, who was um, in Kinky Boots, Annalie Ashford. I love Annalie Ashford so much. Um, yeah, so I was in an amateur production of Legally Blonde with Hills Musical Company, shout out to HMC, um, and have always just loved the movie as well. Um, Ellis, tell us about your experience uh i came very late to both of these things uh, a couple of years ago i watched the musical for the first time because uh the in our class we were doing the song gay or european as our big song and dance number a real tune and so i decided you know what i should sit down and actually watch the musical and me and a couple of the guys who hadn't seen it before we all watched it together in a very wholesome afternoon of really enjoying a show and being surprised at how much we enjoyed it and I watched the movie for the first time yesterday. And so what did you think, Ellis? I loved it. <laughs> I loved. I, I had a I had a Legally Blonde day yesterday. I watched the movie and I rewatched the musical. And I'm just the whole the whole musical, like the original Broadway production. It's on YouTube because they did a special on MTV. They did of it, so you can watch like a professionally filmed with the of original it. cast of the the Broadway musical, who are incredible some of my favorite performers and performances i think mm. come from from this show and i'm just really excited and anytime <laughs> i start talking about legally blonde i just get excited i remember there was one time i think it was the first time i'd met uh, a friend of mine uh who i who worked on school of rock with us and we were, we were doing our, our after work drinks or something and completely unprompted i started gushing about how much I loved Legally Blonde <laughs> and how much I loved Elle Woods as a feminist icon. Like, this is the first time meeting somebody, I felt like I made a good first impression. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and it was just, just like, kept spilling out of my face just all the, the love that I have for this show. And now you have a platform on which to do that. Like, did you create a feminist podcast on pop culture just so you could gush about how much you love Legally Blonde as a feminist work? I may have, uh, <laughs> I may have pushed for Legally Blonde to be our first uh, topic because of that, yes. I think also um, another conversation point is the fact that the other day, Ellis, you interviewed me for Quarantunes, which is your other podcast, yep. shameless plug, <laughs> and you asked me what my guilty pleasure musical was, and I said Legally Blonde. And you made an excellent point that why should we feel guilty about enjoying this show or, and this movie, you know, because um, I suppose it's got that like real chick flick mm. feel to it. And the fact that it's like quite like pe pecky, pecky, that's not what I meant to say, <laughs> like peppy and um, like upbeat and quite feel good. Mm. Um, I suppose there's like an element of snobbery where we're like, oh, because this is, um, really poppy and really um, like chick flicky it doesn't have a lot of like artistic merit you know which is 
silly, but evidently that's something that I've internalised because I said that Legally Blonde was my guilty pleasure musical. So that's a talking point. We, I think we as a society have kind of been trained or conditioned to believe that, like, you know, high art has to be really serious mm. and dour and, you know, everybody has to die at the end of the show. And when you get a show where it's just like, no, actually, I just enjoy this. It makes me feel good. But also I feel like in the case of Legally Blonde has a lot to say and has a lot to offer mm. in terms of feminism, which is why we're talking <laughs> about it on our feminist podcast. And I guess there's also an element of like chick flicks in inverted commas, which you can't see because you can just hear me. Um, chick flicks being just for women. And it's kind of like why why are women the only audience for female-oriented stories when, you know, when you watch like – movies with male heavy cast which are like, most of which them are most movies it's not like just for men like mm. there's no underlying um idea that only men can watch male stories but there's this kind of idea that only women are interested in female driven stories and i think that's part of the reason that we started this podcast is also to kind of diffuse that notion and that mindset because spoiler alert i like a lot of chick flicks <laughs> in inverted commas <laughs> Um, I, I think that when you find one that tells the story so well, it just makes me so happy. And I'm really glad, uh, I'm really glad that we're starting off with something like Legally Blonde because I think it's, it, it holds up in a yeah. lot of ways. Like, spoiler alert, this is not going to be f- feminists ruining something. Like, we're starting off with us not ruining something, which kind of goes against the title of the <laughs> podcast. Um, but this is going to be a real, like, we rate this from a feminist perspective. Again, spoiler alert. That is to say, I think there are there are some things that, you know, we've wanted to, to bring up in terms that, like, in some ways it's very much a product of its time. Yeah. And I think it's important that we, we recognize that even though we, we have spent, I don't know, the last five minutes gushing over how much we love this film <laughs> uh, or this musical, that we should actually... You know, critique it and yeah. highlight those elements that we think could be done a bit better or could be improved upon and just acknowledge that even though we, we really like something, it can still have flaws and that's okay. Absolutely. Ellis, I like you when you have flaws. I like you when you have flaws as well, man. I don't. I absolutely don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to start off, what are some of the things that we like really rate about Legally Blonde? Like what are your favorite feminist aspects of this of, of the movie and of the musical. And, like, I guess we have to make a distinction because um, they are different and there are mm-hmm. ways in which, like, different issues are tackled. Um, but on the whole, Ellis, what are your pro-feminist thoughts regarding Legally Blonde? I think the best thing about Legally Blonde is Elle Woods herself. Mm-hmm. She is such a wonderful character who is at no point... Um, puts herself down yeah. because she she's very acutely aware of her abilities and her intelligence mm. and also very aware of the fact that she is constantly underestimated because she's a very uh, stereotypically attractive mm. person. Yeah. Like uh, the scene at the beginning of both the film and the musical where there's the saleswoman who's like, oh, she's a blonde, I can get really good commission on this, uh, is a really excellent way of showcasing not only that um l is an intelligent character in the way that she handles the situation and, mm. and completely throws off the, the salesperson <laughs> corny <laughs> take your break uh but uh also demonstrates what is important to l and the fact that she is very she's a very feminine character mm. in that she likes dresses and she likes makeup and she loves the color pink and kind of showing that she is totally okay with those sides of it. And it's not mutually exclusive. You can be somebody who is intelligent, but also, quote-unquote, stereotypically yeah. feminine. Yeah, um, that is one of my favorite things about it as well. And I think from a from a very personal perspective, like that is something that I have very much internalized and am constantly trying to fight against. Like I have this um, underlying suspicion in in most situations, whether or not it's accurate, that I have to prove that I'm intelligent because I am, like, a somewhat conventionally attractive and, like, somewhat feminine woman that 
I expect people to underestimate me and I expect people to underestimate my intelligence and I have a habit of trying to make sure that people are aware that I am intelligent, I suppose. <laughs> um, like it was something that I, I found myself doing a lot um, in law school, um, re- relevant to Legally Blonde. Like I would find myself, you know, if I were in a group assignment with um, – like in it being the only woman in an assignment um, trying to like make sure that my contribution was valued and not overlooked because I expected them to underestimate my contribution or like trying to like speak up extra in class because I wanted to I felt like I needed to prove how smart I was and I think that's because I've internalized this idea that people are going to underestimate me um, because of how I look so I really appreciate that Legally Blonde kind of tackles that and kind of um fights against that expectation. I also like uh, that things aren't really... I, I think that Elle earns the things that she gets by the end of the story. I mean, uh, there is a, with this movie, there is a question of privilege, which I think we'll oh, get to absolutely. later. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of Elle's personal achievements, she puts the work in mm. and she really earns her place. So at the end of the movie, when she... Uh, leads the trial uh, to defend mm. Brooke, she's actually, like, you feel like she has definitely earned it because yeah. she is intelligent and hardworking and all these wonderful positive yeah. attributes. And when she's freaking valedictorian. Oh, oh. Love it. What a start. Um, I think there are a couple of other things that I really appreciate from a feminist perspective in Legally Blonde, one of them being that um, the idea, the theme of women supporting one another and like strong female friendship is really prominent. Um, like the, the relationship that Elle and Paulette have with one another mm-hmm. is just like super wholesome. Um, the fact that all of the sorority girls like have Elle's back is really cool. Um, and even though obviously there is like a really strong rivalry between Elle and Vivian to start out with the fact that, they they bond by the end of it. And I, I think that Vivian's arc is one of the most interesting ones in both the movie and the musical. Mm-hmm. The fact that she starts out as this real like villainous character, but by the end of it, she's been humanized and um, they've formed this bond. I think that's super cool. It's, it's almost like they kind of realize that they're instinctively pitting themselves against each mm. other that they're constantly competing for to be noticed or for uh warren is it warren warner warner uh, when did you yeah. watch legally blonde yesterday? yesterday his name his name is not the important part of his character no. uh, <laughs> he's trash uh but they you know they start off in this very competitive mindset and kind of both eventually realize like no we don't have to compete against each other we can actually you know be friends yeah and there is something to really like and i think that's something that is missing a little bit from the musical mm. that's in the film is i really loved how that friendship blossomed kind of naturally yeah and how you, you could see them go from polar opposites to actually no we're, we're in this together and we're helping each other and we're friends yeah. and by the end of the film they said that they're they became best friends and yeah. it was really like that was really lovely i think counter to that though the decision to bring in the sorority sisters as a greek chorus in the musical i thought was great because that isn't really in the film no no you have a little moment where the sorority sisters call in but it's more to kind of make Elle wistful of the life that she had as opposed to support the life that she's going towards whereas the greek chorus are really supportive all the way through of what Elle's doing and are always there to kind of pep her up and say, no, keep going. We're really proud of you. And I think it's a really good device. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Greek chorus. Greek chorus. <laughs> Something else that I quite like about both the movie and the musical, although the conclusions of this differ a little bit, um, is the fact that overall the story arc and the, the key plot line isn't a romantic one. Like obviously the fact that Elle gets dumped by Warner and then she goes to Harvard to win him back is very much a romantic storyline. But I think that's just a catalyst 
for the fact that the main storyline is her um, discovering her own um, autonomy and independence and intelligence. Um, and I think it's more like a self-discovery and self-empowerment storyline rather than a romantic one. I 100% agree. I, I think that there are a couple of like choice quotes that I love um, from Elle about her kind of her independent journey when like she set she sets her sights on Harvard for like for the reason of following a man but at no point does she like question that she isn't going to get what she's trying to get yeah. like like when when she's sitting in the counselor's office uh, and they're like well what's your backup if you don't get into Harvard she's just like I don't have backups <laughs> I'm going to Harvard yeah and she does and later when when uh, Warner questions like you got into Harvard and she's like why was it hard <laughs> well like it's hard oh and it's like incredible <laughs> it, it's moments like that where I'm just like it's so great to see Elle like the entire way through obviously she has like a, a journey of self-discovery mm. about herself and her strengths and stuff but the entire way through she's like so firm on her conviction yeah she's so self-assured mm. and it's it's really nice to see that that at any point isn't put aside for the sake of being with a guy yeah absolutely like like she doesn't change her mind at the end and go actually no i'm gonna i'm gonna marry Emmett, and and that that's my happy ending yeah. her happy ending is that she becomes the the lawyer that she discovered she yeah and also like oh warner doesn't love me anymore oh i guess the whole harvard thing was a waste like no she graduates (laughs) she gets through regardless of like maybe the reason that she went there in the first place wasn't necessarily um the most academically driven (laughs) um but you know the follow-through is there um i do think it is interesting to look at the the privilege element of her just deciding that she's going to go to Harvard. And then, you know, it's a very expensive school. The American mm-hmm. education system is broken. <laughs> Changed my mind. 100%. Um, but the fact that in that interlude in the musical where she, like, goes to her parents and is like, I'm going to go to Harvard. And then they're skeptical. And then her dad's like, fine, okay, I'll pay your way if you get in. Um, is just, <laughs> like, the epitome mm. of privilege. Like, oh, yeah, no worries. You want to go to maybe the most one of the most expensive law schools in the world? This, no worries. This is a very white movie. Oh, yeah. Like, really, really white. And you have to wonder if at any point Elle wasn't the upper class white woman that she was how much harder this yeah. film would have been for her and how much harder that journey uh would have been for her to to reach and i think that that is an issue with yeah with this film and and the the musical as well every pretty pre, most of the people in it are very white yeah it's a very white story a couple of token people of color but yeah you know. um which is which is a bit to its detriment. Which, yeah. But I wonder that I don't think that detracts so much from the idea of the self discovery that Elle goes on mm. and the journey that she goes through. Yeah. It just makes it so much easier that she doesn't <laughs> have to worry about working a job yeah. and to pay through things her 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 degree yeah. or or anything like that. I guess it, it does make it very clear that the real obstacle for her is being a blonde woman that the fact that she has these roadblocks and the fact that she has people underestimating her is because of her femininity so i guess to some degree it just kind of makes it very clear that that's this is the issue that yeah we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um not that that is to um say that you know the story wouldn't be um bettered uh if she were a bit more like at the picture of diversity <laughs> like i want to see a black elwoods like that would be sick i'd love that i think it is something that they raise in the musical with emmett's increased storyline where they do focus on the fact that he mm. had a bit of a, cha- a challenge getting through school he had to pay his own way he had to work multiple jobs he he's from that kind of underclass and uh the fact that he and Elle are able to connect over that idea that the people who go to harvard harvard are these rich white families Mm. looking down on anyone who's different and i think that was a really interesting point of connection that the two characters could have because they were outsiders 
at Harvard. Yeah, just in different ways. Yeah. yeah. And both of them being able to pick themselves up and push on through uh, was a really nice element that they added. They re- they did a lot to Emmett's character in the mm. musical, I think, because he's kind of tacked on to the movie, I, I believe. Yeah, I think he's a lot more three-dimensional in the musical. Hmm. He ha- Well, he has a third dimension. That helps. He- <laughs> <laughs> it's, he's literally there in person in the musical. Yeah. <laughs> but the... Um, here, here's my sticking point. I love the fact that the romance angle is kind of uh, peripheral in the film. Yeah. But the very last thing that we get from the film is the little where are they now caption yeah. about how Emmett is about to propose to Elle. <laughs> and as much as I loved the movie, that didn't really sit right with me because it kind of, the the final bit of information the film gives you isn't about Elle's success or something that Elle's done it's kind of about something that is about to happen to her Mm. and whether or not that's what she wants uh, you know because I imagine that you know she would want to be with a person who respected her and loved her which I think Emmett does but the fact that the film kind of decides to end on the note that he is going to propose to her just like didn't sit right with the rest of the film yeah like of that's not where the arc should end up. Mm-hmm. The arc is like, Elle follows Warner to Harvard. She goes to Harvard for a man. She discovers she doesn't need said man. She's an independent law badass. Um, and then the fact that it then ends on, oh, but here's a little romantic tidbit, is like a bit sad. Although I do appreciate the fact that you only learn about that through the the surtitling kind of mm. thing. Like you don't actually see that play out. So I guess by virtue of the fact that it's just kind of a footnote and not what you actually see play out in person, it kind of takes a, a backseat. Yeah. Uh, that being said, in the musical, Elle proposes to Emmett and that's badass. Elle proposing to Emmett is like the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And Emmett's and reaction course, as well. make me the happiest woman I know. Oh. oh my god, oh my god. Oh, like, oh, so good. They're, like what a what a sick feminist move. And and I, I and I think that even though the result is the same in that they end up engaged to each other, because it's Elle's move. Yeah. And Elle kind of taking ownership of that action. Yeah. And because it's her story. Yeah. Makes it a really solid uh addition, I think. Yeah. But even still that's that's still very much a subplot. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I like that. The the journey of self empowerment and self discovery and finding herself and um becoming aware of her capabilities is still like plot A. Hundred percent the focus of the thing. And the fact that she meets this person and develops a really lovely relationship with them is 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 a, is a side plot but mm. isn't periphery as it was in the film yeah. like it feels it feels very tacked on it feels like the executives are like <laughs> we have a female-led film she needs to end up with a guy at the end and and that's kind of what emmett's that that's uh, romantic subplot feels like in the film whereas they really establish both emmett's character and the relationship that the two of them have together throughout the musical in a way that doesn't dominate the focus yeah and it really establishes that he the, the musical version and the musical um, love story really establishes that in contrast to Warner, he very clearly loves her for the person that she is, not what she looks like. Whereas that um, was kind of the downfall of hers and, Emmett's, uh, hers and Warner's relationship was the fact that um, he took her at face value. Warner was very much about what she represented as well yeah and he's like so much so. how how she can better his own image whereas mm. Emmett just saw somebody who he cared about yeah. and yeah it's just oh it's so Warner's a douche Warner is such a douche hashtag Warner's a douche is going to be the hashtag that comes out of this episode <laughs> <I feel. laughs> you heard it here first folks hashtag Warner's a douche I think also the both the movie and the musical are um good at highlighting the theme of um, sexual assault and how that um, how that can play out and how that can impact 
the victim. Um, I guess a little bit of a trigger warning that we're about to mm-hmm. chat about sexual assault. Um, but I think the fact that I think it really highlights this idea that there's often a power imbalance between the mm-hmm. perpetrator and the victim. Like, that's that's very clear. And also the fact that it affects the victim far more negatively than the perpetrator and that often there aren't repercussions. Like, obviously, there's a very fairy tale ending of, like, <laughs> Callahan loses his job and, um, you know, he gets a divorce and it's, everything mm. sucks for Callahan, which is very poetically just, potentially not super realistic. <laughs> um, but I do think that it highlights, you know, Elle's... Elle decides that she has to, like, quit and go back to L.A. because of what has happened and um, also makes her really undervalue and, and question everything leading up to that point, thinking that she only has um, got these various opportunities and positions because of this sexual attraction. Um, I think that really highlights a lot of what victims of sexual assault go through, the fact that they're the ones impacted, they're the ones that need to like leave their workplaces so that they don't have to interact with um, the perpetrator anymore. Um, I think that's something interesting that plays out that has quite a feminist feel to it. It it is the only time in the story where Elle doubts herself. Absolutely, yeah. Like everywhere else she is like, I can do this, I am smart, I am hardworking, I am capable, and it's that moment that the the doubt comes in mm. and I think it's very telling that it's because something quite traumatic yeah. happens to her. Absolutely. Yeah. But something I really appreciated it was how um how many of the characters believed her. Yeah. There was no point where she she tells uh, Emmett almost immediately what's happened to her. Yeah. And at no point does he try to downplay the impact that no. that's had on her. Yeah. Or question whether or not it was actually something that happened. Mm. Which I think is a really great role model for people watching as to how to deal with that kind yeah. of situation. Like the, the important thing is to trust survivors mm. and to to believe them and give them the support that they need. And I think the fact that you don't have... I know, 10, 20 minutes of them questioning whether or not it actually happened or why it happened. I think yeah. it's really, really solid and strong. Yeah. I think, refresh my memory, Ellis, because you've seen the movie far more recently mm-hmm. than I have, um, but I think there's a moment in the movie where like Vivian sees it happening, misinterpret, misinterprets it and thinks that... Um, it's consensual and that Elle is doing it in a manipulative way to get ahead. And then when she, when Vivian like talks to the group about that, I think that Emmett corrects her immediately. Is that what happens? Yes. So um, there's a slight change between the film and the, the musical. In the film, Vivian's the only person who sees and does make that misinterpretation. But as soon as yeah. Emmett... Yeah says it she completely changes her tune and she goes oh my god i've done something really stupid and it's awful in the musical both warner warner douche warner douche warner yes (laughs) Uh, um both warner and vivian see it happening and warner immediately goes to that place and um and makes a comment about how Obviously, that's what Elle's done to get mm. her way to the top. Yeah. And Vivian is like immediately, Warner, shut up and yes. get out of here. And that's kind of the moment where, where the, uh, the, the flip, flip happens. The switch flips for Vivian, yeah. 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 Um, and I suppose it's almost a little bit idyllic in... Um, idyllic? Is that the word I I think I so, yeah. Like it's idealistic as to how stuff like that should play out because often victims will have to come up against a lot more doubt and a lot more scepticism, um, which is shit. Um, but like you said, it's good to see that play out, even idealistically, because then that serves as, like I suppose, a little bit of a script or a bit of a, a guide as to what you should be doing mm-hmm. when somebody comes to you with a, an experience like this um, that's happened to them. One major change that's made from the film to the musical is in the film... 
there are two lecturers mm. that Elle has as a law students, uh, as a law student, and in the musical there's only Callahan. Yeah, and I get why you want to streamline cast members to give more of a focus to one of them, but that comes at the loss of the only female role model yeah. that Elle has in the film, her first lecturer, who eventually comes and uh, stands up for her after Callahan uh, harasses her and says, you're strong, you can go back and do this. And that was a really lovely um, female mentorship. Yeah. Whereas in the musical, you only ha- the only mentor figure that Elle really has is Callahan, which takes away like a strong female role model, but then makes the narrative moment where Callahan kisses her much more striking and venomous yeah. venomous because the only uh role model that Elle had to look up to in the entire film then betrays her. Yeah. And so from a narrative perspective I think it's a it's a good change. But I think it comes at the loss of you have this really wonderful female role model for Elle that she doesn't have in the musical otherwise. Yeah, true. So we've we've gushed <laughs> um, about all of the things that make Legally Blonde incredible. Um, from a feminist perspective, there are also a lot of other things that lot of great are stuff. unrelated to feminism but are still awesome. Um, I have gushed to you off the record, Ellis, about how much I love the opening number um, in oh in God. the, oh in God, the movie, guys. but also, oh my God, you guys, in the musical is great. Oh, yes, but like the, the opening credits song, like, it's a perfect day. So good. My my first note from my Legally Blonde notes from watching the movie was, I am so nostalgic for the late 90s, early 2000s sound and aesthetic. Oh, it was such a good time for pop. So, like, that encapsulates just such a beautiful image in my head, and I'm sure it wasn't that great at the time. Mm. But just when that kind of music comes on, it's like, oh, my heart just fills. But the, the opening number, I think, serves as a bit of a good segue into some of the less feminist aspects of both the movie and the musical mm-hmm. um so some of we're getting into more the critique section um the, the more like feminist ruining if you will um and the opening number comes to mind because there's that whole sequence where um there's this girl on a bike who is taking this card to l that all that goes through the house like the sorority house and all of the sorority sisters assigning it to give to l when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Um, to be like, good luck tonight when they all expect Warner to propose to her cute um but i think in that opening sequence there are a couple of moments where there's this like cute girl on her bike and you see all these like preppy frat boys who are just who like stop what they're doing to like check her out and just um make eyes at her as she rides on by minding her own business and i think there are there are quite a few moments like that in the movie that feel that feel like you're kind of watching it um, and that it's kind of it's created for the male gaze. Mm. I think that comes through in the direction. Um, Ellis, I'm going to get you to fact check me, but I think that the movie itself was directed by a man. Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking that? So it was directed by Robert Luketic, uh, but it was written by Karen McCullough-Lutz and Kirsten Smith. So we have two female writers 
and a male director. Yeah, and I think that almost um, it, it makes sense in my mind that I think some of the um, some of the direction choices, like that opening sequence, um, are do seem like they're created more from and for um, the male gaze. But I think that the storyline itself is significantly more female oriented so it makes sense to me that the writers were women there are quite a few times where it does stand out that it was directed by a man uh in that opening shot i remember there was a very kind of gratuitous pan across all the women in the bathroom in their underwear getting ready (laughs) of course and like lots of people doing exercise in that opening shot um Another scene that stands out is when Elle rocks up to the party dressed as a Playboy bunny. Mm. Uh, like, 100% male gaze. Like, yeah. starting at the high-heeled feet and rising up the back of her legs. And it's like, it's like she... There are quite a few shots like that um, that kind of highlight a... We got to show off how attractive our lead actress yeah. is. Which is a shame. I do want to talk about the Playboy Bunny scene, though, from both the movie and the musical. Um, Because something that I really like about it is the fact that the way it's set up, Elle comes to this party thinking it's a costume party because Vivian told her that it was, and she arrives and discovers that it isn't. And I really appreciate the fact that she is quite vocal to Vivian about (laughs) how displeased (laughs) she is. Um, (laughs) But the fact that when Warner asks her, like, oh, why why are you dressed like that? Interesting costume. She's like, oh, I just felt like dressing up. Like, she directly addresses it with Vivian, who she has a problem with, but she doesn't actually go behind her back and badmouth her. Like, I think that's really classy. She is very much like a got-to-support-other-women, even if mm. I don't particularly like them or get along with them the entire way through. She's very supportive of other women and their their choices yeah and what they want to do and at no point kind of holds you know, she doesn't hold it against vivian or try to undermine her in in a direct way yeah she's she's very much like here's my problem with you and then she moves on and it's really it's a really classy move yeah and also i really appreciate what she does to support paulette as well and how mm. she like gets her dog back with her newfound legal skills, like that's super badass. And also, this is going to tie into a real discussion about how she um, coaches her to try and get rid of some of her nerves around um, Kyle, the delivery guy. Speaking of which, I've got to before we before we get into the the kind of meat and potatoes of of that particular scene. Um, I've just got to say Andy Carl as the delivery guy on the Broadway version. Is that Andy Carl? That's Andy Carl. I like Groundhog Day guy. Yeah, Groundhog Day. Uh, he was in Rocky the Musical. I was well. so unaware of that casting that's, choice. That's Andy Carl. Oh my god, and Andy he's Carl! Incredible. Like just, I was like rolling on the floor laughing kind of <laughs> oh my god i love it so much and i just i love i i have a soft spot for movies that kind of ogle men a little mm. bit in in the sense of like i <laughs> maybe maybe this is a problematic thing that we can cut out of a podcast um <laughs> but i like no, i think it's a talking point you're you're so used to seeing women kind of presented in a particular way and I feel like a lot of films directed by men or a lot of things directed by men are kind of scared to show off attractive men. Mm. And the fact that you have this character who is... Let's, his his role in the story is to be a bit of a... Um, he's a piece of meat. He's a piece of meat for, yeah. for Paulette particularly. And the fact that the musical kind of relishes that so much. They don't just, they don't just, he walks into like this 70s guitar. In in the score, it literally, the musical direction is porn groove. (laughs) I'm like 90% sure. (laughs) But also the fact that he comes in and he's just like this really like nice guy and he's like, hey, do me a favor. Have yourself a super day. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, it just fills my heart. (laughs) And I just really, I really love 
I love seeing that, and I love the fact that they've kind of like turned this. Mm. It's like the male gaze, but directed at men. I, to some degree, have an issue with men being objectified mm. because I think that if we as women are asking of our society that we want to be seen as more than our physical appearance, appearance, <laughs> appearance, <laughs> and we want to stop objectification of women, I think that to then objectify men is a little bit hypocritical. And I think that I I don't like it when I'm reduced to my physical appearance. And, of course, there's, there's much more of a, um, uh, a historical element of the objectification of women, but um, I, I personally feel like trash if, um, you know, I'm just seen as a sexual object. So I imagine that men would feel that way as well and it's not something that feels good to experience and so I I have a bit of an issue with men being objectified and sexualized because I think if we're asking for that to not happen of women it sh- we should fight for it to not happen for men as well that being said I do think that it's more a satirical thing in Legally yes. Blonde a hundred percent like uh, particularly in the the musical when he comes into the porn like <laughs> music they're very <laughs> much setting up and he's like he comes in and he's holding like a big elongated box and he's <laughs> like i've got a package for you it's v- like very on the nose what they're going for yeah um i think the fact that it's so overt makes it satirical yeah yeah and it's just it i just love andy carl <laughs> <laughs> but i think this very much feeds in to the can of worms that we are about to open, which is how do we feel about the bend and snap? The bend and snap is uh, arguably one of the most iconic things to come like, from absolutely. the film and, and the musical. Uh, and the guy in the background who's like, works every time. Like, I swear that's been quoted that might be the most quotable moment of the whole movie. It is a puzzling Tis. thing. Because uh, when I watched the movie for the first time and the bend and snap appeared, it turned into a really lovely scene of a bunch of women just kind of like getting together and feeling good about themselves mm. and encouraging each other. And like what it turns into is this is a really lovely moment. Yeah, and it's, like camaraderie and um, female support. Yeah, and I think it's a bit like that in the musicals. I don't think it's as much in the musical, mainly because it has it focuses on some specific singers, as opposed to being like an ensemble yeah. number in in the same way. But there is the the arguably problematic element of. The reason why they're doing it is to flaunt their bodies sexually so that men give them attention. Yeah. And I guess I think it it toes the line between wanting to feel sexually empowered in yourself uh, and wanting to be able to confidently express your sexuality and then expressing your sexuality purely for the view of... purely for the intention of male attention Mm. and I'm just so on the fence about it I don't know how to feel I think I'm not sure that we're going to come to a conclusion (laughs) I think I want to actually throw this to our listeners to be like what do you think of the bend and snap from a feminist perspective (laughs) does it hold up do does it feel like an empowering move or does it feel like more male gaze and I wonder if both the musical and the film were directed by women how different that scene would be yeah I I guess though also just from a from a narrative perspective though it it comes in to like it's there it's narrative purpose that it serves is to gain the attention of Kyle Um, but at the same time I do think it is about Elle trying to help Paulette find her confidence 
mm. and to be empowered in herself and in her sexuality. At, at I, no point... I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. In, in the doing of it, I think, I think Elle says something like, you've got the machinery, you just need to read the manual. Yes, and it, to that effect. At no point during it is she like, you need to change this about yourself. It's mm. just, you're already great. Here's a way that we can showcase how cool you are yeah. or how great you look. Um, which, like, people's appearances do matter to people. I mean, society has deemed it important in one way, but I think it's it's important for you to feel good in your own body and yeah. and seeing seeing all these women who were uh, in the film uh, all different shapes and sizes and there were and ages ages and there were people of color in there as well. Some I think rare people of color <laughs> might have been the first people of color to appear in the film. It, but the fact that it isn't, you need to go out and change this. You need yeah. to go out and change this about yourself. Uh, it's about finding, unlocking that thing within you, I think is really, really lovely. But again, at the end of the day, it's like we need to make ourselves look good for men. Yeah. I think there are some, the lyrics are really hot and cold if you look at the musical version. Um, like the second, um, the second verse is like, um, if you want to make the team, fake some self-esteem which i think is like cool i guess like <laughs> fake it and then you'll believe in it i suppose but then the next line is the more you jump around and scream the sexier you'll seem and that just, mm. just goes from a real high to a real low it, it's a real like case sentence by sentence yeah it really case, is almost i think we are very on the fence very on the fence dependent snap <laughs> In the musical, though, I think uh, maybe justify is the wrong word, but I think they justify including the bend and snap a lot more in the musical, where that becomes mm. how they discover or have the inclining, inclination, inclining, inclination, inclination, uh, when they have the inclination that the pool boy on the trial might be gay. Nikos, Carlos, which one is he? He's Nikos, He's Nikos, and his boyfriend's name is Carlos. Carlos, yeah. And I think having Tying uh, that revelation back to the bend and snap is really effective narratively. Yeah. Because in in the film, he like makes a comment about her like designer shoes. Your little last season Prada something at me. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is you know it, it it's fine if not flimsy, but if the musical is setting up this thing of like this works on every person attracted to women, mm. using that as a way to kind of discover oh maybe he's gay uh i think is is quite narratively effective and i must admit i i laughed a lot when l then did it in the courtroom and uh warner and enid are both like yeah maybe you should do it again just to be <laughs> just to be sure uh, i i laughed a lot at that joke <laughs> um um oh what was i gonna say oh something that i appreciate that Bend and Snap kind of like sets up as a catalyst for is the fact that obviously Paulette bends and snaps a little bit too hard. <laughs> she breaks Kyle's nose. Mm -hmm. But that serves as a catalyst for the fact that he then goes to the ER. She supports him through it. They share that experience. He discovers how great she is and she cares for him. So it's kind of her her clumsiness and her her kindness and the real star of her personality that is what he actually falls for, not her raw sexuality, you know? <laughs> um, so I suppose that is something, another good thing that comes out mm. of it is the fact that even though that was the intention, that's not the way that it works. Uh, also another good thing to come out of it is how hilarious laura bell bundy is in the background of that number <laughs> like there's a moment where they all start going crazy and she just starts high kicking incredible and just doesn't stop and she's an icon i swear to god it's the funniest oh laura bell bundy is with all respect to reese witherspoon who was incredible laura bell bundy will always be my l woods you are entitled to that opinion Alex. oh i just love it so much i want to talk a little bit about the 
queer representation in Legally Blonde, because we here at Feminism Ruins Everything, a feminist podcast, um, are all about the intersectional feminism. Mm -hmm. um, feminism isn't feminism in 2020 unless it's intersectional. Um, I think that the queer representation in both the movie and the musical is problematic. Yes. And I think that's because there are... Off the top of my head, there are just three queer characters being Enid and the poor boy Nikos, Nikos? Nikos and, and his, his boyfriend, boyfriend Carlos. Carlos. And the thing that I find a little bit troubling about them as characters is that their defining features are their sexuality and the fact that they're very one-dimensional characters. Um, I also find Enid interesting because she is the token feminist in both the movie and the musical and kind of is is very much reduced to a stereotype. She's reduced to, like, the angry lesbian feminist. Um, I love angry lesbian feminists. What stars? However, you don't have to be an angry lesbian <laughs> to be a feminist. And so I... And I think that it's actually quite a poor representation of feminism itself. Like there's this one m moment in the movie where she's talking to Warner about how she's petitioning to have them change the word semester to Ovesta so that it is less semen and more ovary, <laughs> and which, which is a great line. Um, but, yeah, I think... She's boiled down to a stereotype and I don't think that it's um, the best representation of feminism just because it's quite one-dimensional. For a really feminist movie and a mm. really feminist story, their depiction of feminists <laughs> and feminist activists is really quite... Yeah, it's very stereotypical. And I think... Enid comes off a little better in the musical because she's given a few extra moments of levity and, yeah. and kind-heartedness. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Enid... Is Enid one of the interns in the film? I don't I think she is. I can't... But she definitely is in the musical. She she is in the musical, and having having that... Uh, more stage time mm. allows you to see more of the character and, and kind of um, learn more about her. Whereas in the movie, she is very much confined to, to some bits at the beginning where all you can see is this stereotypical um, imagining of what a feminist activist yeah. is. And I think that that is a bit to its detriment, particularly for something that is so much about empowering women yeah. and women supporting each other to have this character whose function is let's all laugh at the feminist. Yeah, is a like bit... it's it's like feminism's a punchline. Yeah. And also lesbianism is a punchline. Is a punchline. And I also, especially in the musical, like she's got this whole um, line in one of the earlier songs where Elle arrives at Harvard and she like lists off all her achievements and she's like, she's been in the Peace Corps and she's like um, helped all these refugees and stuff and she just like rattles off all of her achievements and she's never given merit for the great things that she's done. Just the fact that she's yeah there to be a punchline. Mm. Yeah. Which is... is uh is like specifically used in Callahan's song of Blood in the Water where he like straight up goes like, oh, you lesbians are all the same. Yeah. You les lesbians think you're so tough. Mm. Yeah. And I, oh, no, go ahead. Oh, well, I was, I was just saying like it, I guess it says more about Callahan's character than Enid's, but also the musical doesn't really do much to, to showcase other facets of her. Yeah. Aside from that. Yeah. Um, I do think that the reducing of feminism to a very particular stereotype is very much a product of the movie and the musical's time. Mm. Um, I think the movie came out 
2001. Oh, the, I'm so sorry. The movie was 2001 and, and the, the musical, musical was, was 2007. 2007. Um, so we're very much talking about an era where feminism hadn't become the mainstream phenomenon. Phenomenon? Is that the singular? Phenomenon, yeah. Phenomenon. Um, hadn't become the mainstream phenomenon that it is today. Um, and I suppose we now appreciate that feminism is very multifaceted and that you can be a feminist if you are a really feminine woman or if uh, you're a badass lesbian or if you're a man. <laughs> um, hello, Ella Stolen, <laughs> co-host of <laughs> Feminist Rumor That's Everything, a feminist podcast. Um, so I guess it's a product of its time and I'm just grateful that Feminism is now something that's so much more mainstream and so much better understood. I I would be curious as to if this musical or the movie was made now, what changes would be made to the Enid character yeah. specifically? Yeah. Um, and also, uh, what changes would be made to our our pool boy Nikos and his boyfriend Carlos, <laughs> who are um, they're very minor characters in the sense that they don't take up a lot of screen time or stage time. Yeah. But they are very, very obvious uh, queer stereotypes. Yes, very much so. And that's very much epitomised in the gay or European song. It's just like, let's rattle off as many gay stereotypes as we can think of, you know? I'd be curious to see how that song plays outside of America because in America you can get that a lot of the... um, the European stereotypes, I mean. Like, if you took that song and played it in Europe, <laughs> I'm curious, like... Did they did they change it for the European tour? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Is that... How does that work in translations? <laughs> I'm really curious. I want to look into that, actually. Yeah. But it is, it is a... Um, I think it's kind of telling that the queer characters are all kind of reduced to a stereotype Very and a punchline. So. Yeah, 100%. And even even though you can kind of make the argument that the end of the song Gay or European is about somebody else accepting themselves and being true to who they are, yeah. you can make that argument, but I think I would argue that's a flimsy yeah. one. It is still a song about stereotypes and kind of poking fun at those stereotypes yeah. as well. Um you do get to see like a kiss between two men on stage in mm-hmm. that scene, which for 2007 um, was probably pretty uncommon. I'm going to go ahead much, and say. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I do think that for all of the queer characters, especially those two, their defining characteristic is their sexuality. Like we're not looking at these queer characters as three-dimensional multifaceted human beings. That said, uh, we are speaking from a position that we're, we're, we're both straight. Uh, if you are a queer listener out there who does like th- aspects of these characters, please let us know. We'd love to yeah, hear, hear from you. Um, like if you think that Enid is amazing, which, I mean, we I think mean, Enid is Enid amazing. Is amazing. Um, just her if, portrayal. It's a little bit Yes, if, yeah. if you think that her portrayal is um, is really cool or something yeah, you, we would you really love like, we'd love to hear. Yeah, we love a queer perspective. Uh, yeah. Because that is not something that we are able to bring. <laughs> um, but let's have some cool queer guests, Ellis. Let's do that. Let's do it, 100%. One last thing that I want to chat about. Do you think or can we decide whether or not Legally Bond passes the Bechtel test? Because I'm confident that it does, but I just can't think of where. If you're unfamiliar with this concept, the Bechtel test is a feminist test uh, created by Alison Bechdel, whose life story or like memoir um, was the inspiration for Fun Home. Mm. Little trivia note. Um, but Alison Bechdel created this test where you find a scene where two women who have names have a conversation with one another that is not about a man. It's a very low bar <laughs> and it's really worrying how few movies and musicals actually pass the Bechdel test. Does Legally Bond pass the Bechdel test, Ellis? Uh, yes, I believe it does. Um, the first scene that comes to mind would be uh, Elle's first lecture with mm-hmm. her um, 
uh, the professor whose name I, I cannot recall at the moment, but she... But she does have a name. She does have a name. <laughs> the name uh, whose name I just cannot recall at the moment. Uh, I mean, they, they, have, they have a conversation in class about, you know, required readings and uh, everything like that. They also have a conversation at the end where she encourages Elle to get back into court and to stand up for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, Brooke and Elle have a number of conversations uh, about the legal case, and I believe that Elle and Vivian do as well. Um, I think her name is Professor Stromwell. That sounds right. Professor Stromwell. who Just with some cursory Googling. <laughs> um, when, when Professor Stromwell rocked up at the end, because uh, I wasn't sure, because in the musical, Vivian kind of takes that place and comes in and says, no, we should support each other. You can do this. You're amazing. It's uh, Professor Strongwell mm. who, who comes in at the end and who gives the inspirational speech. Yes, it is Professor Strongwell. Um, yeah, and then like in the musical, Vivian just like comes in and like belts some Gs. Oh, you are the best freaking oh. Amazing, oh, just amazing like Maybe vocals. the most... Yeah, the best vocal moment of the whole show. And from from a character who hasn't actually sung that yeah. much beforehand <laughs> to just belt out these incredible notes is just, oh, I love it so much. That That's the song that I listen to if I need to pump myself up. Absolutely. I put on the, the Legally Blonde remix and I'm just, like, I could do anything. I think also in the musical um, there's a scene in the middle of What You Want where... Elle has a conversation with another sorority girl called Kate who's coaching her for the LSATs, very Bechtel-y. Mm-hmm. Um, Elle, Paul, Kate, Paulette and Elle, um, Paulette and Elle also have a lot of moments together where they're talking about uh, you know, like getting Paulette's dog back. Mm. Uh, in the musical, Paulette helps her studying for her... Uh, helps her study. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't for anything specific. It just helps study. Um there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of interaction between women that's not just gushing over. Oh my God, he's going to propose. There is that there is as that. well. There's a whole song about that, <laughs> but it's not all encompassing. And yeah. I think it's really refreshing to see women having conversations with each other from all walks of life, like all the sorority sisters and all of the Harvard people yeah. and all of these people. They're they're able to have conversations with one one another that doesn't revolve around who's putting a ring on their finger. And I would argue that that is for a number of reasons, but particularly because it's women writing it. Um, so I am led to believe that at least 50% of the creative team of the musical, I think, were also women. Uh, yes, so Music and Lyrics by Lawrence O'Keefe mm-hmm. and Nell Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, the book was written by Heather Hatch. Yeah. And it was directed by Jerry Mitchell. Yeah, so, so the fact that there are women writing these female characters mm-hmm. um, does very much um, make their conversation a bit more <laughs> three-dimensional than I'm obsessed with this guy. And I think it's important to point out that whether or not a movie passes the Bechdel test, um, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something to observe yeah. and to keep note of and make you question um, how often you have women talking to each other in films. Yeah. And I, th- I think it is a reminder that um, movies and musicals, the, the writing of these cultural phenomenon that we, these cultural phenomena that we um, consume so much are so disproportionately written by men and the more female writers we have and the more gender diverse writers that we have working on these projects um the more we're going to see non-male stories represented and represented accurately and honestly and with the lived experience that comes with that and so more women writers more non-binary writers let's make it happen so mim yes i was legally blonde yeah the 2001 movie and the 2007 stage musical do you rate it do you ruin it what do you think i rate it i rate it so hard like obviously there are little critiques and stuff but overall the female empowerment is just so awesome i'm so here for it ellis do you rate or ruin legally blonde the musical and movie i rate it 
very, very hard. I I was really surprised the first time I saw the musical of how much I enjoyed it. Um, I was equally surprised at how much I enjoyed the movie, having already kind of sat through the story once, but mm. still experiencing it in that way. I think it's such a wonderful story. Elle Woods is such an incredible, inspiring character. Like, it, she's the kind of person that I watch. I watch this show, or I watch, I watch the movie, and I go, I want to be like Elle Woods, <laughs> and I want to. I want to do that, and I want to be the best version of myself, regardless of what other people think about me. And I think it's it's a really again, like you mentioned, there's a lot of issues that come uh, that are are come with it because of the times and, and because of certain privileges. But at the end of the day, it's such a wonderfully told story. I just, Absolutely. I love it. I love it so much. I'm so glad we talked about it. <laughs> Elwood's is a feminist icon. 100%. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been Feminism Ruins Everything, a feminist podcast dissecting Lily Blonde, the musical and movie. Please hit us up on Instagram and Facebook. Let us know what you would like to hear us dissect next. Let us know what you think of Bend and Snap. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. Take care, everyone. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.